from the CSI Today News Desk at the College of Staten Island. Welcome to the CSI Today Talks Podcast with your hosts, David Pizzuto and Terry Manns. The CSI Today Talks Podcast is your connection to the College of Staten Island with the newsmakers that make it happen. From world-renowned faculty and staff, dynamic students, and community leaders, stay connected to CSI with CSI Today Talks. And now, here is your host, Terry Hello Mance. again, everyone, and welcome to the CSI Today Talks podcast on CSIToday.com or from wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Terry Mares, co-host of CSI Today Talks, here to bring you the latest episode, Season 3, Episode 19. Today we're talking with Miguel Aragon, Associate Professor of Printmaking at CSI. Before we get to Miguel, we want to remind you to make sure that you subscribe to our podcast. Co-host David Pizzuto and I will look to bring you new episodes often. Like this episode coming up, all of our episodes are available via our archive on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, from our website at www.csitoday.com, or from wherever you found us today. We've also added a new video version on YouTube. So let's get right into it. Thanks for joining me today, Miguel. How are you? Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Thank you. Great. So why don't you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself, your life in Mexico, coming to the U.S., uh, your academic and professional background, your time at CSI, things like that. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Ciudad Juarez, uh, which is on the border with El Paso, Texas, the Mexican side. Now I'm actually a citizen of both countries, but growing up, you know, I just spent most of my time in Mexico. One of the beauties of being raised in the border is that you can actually cross to the border pretty much any time you want, you know, as long as you have the border visa, which my parents were obviously very keen on having. So we would spend like our weekends in El Paso, Texas, just to explore the city, you know, have like a different experience that way. So I don't know. It was great. I mean, I feel like the border towns in any country, between any countries, they're kind of unique, actually. I feel like we are our own countries in a way because we have the benefit of having two different cultures, two different languages. And so in a way, most of my life, I've always felt like I'm not fully 100% Mexican and I'm not 100% American either. And okay. before I was a U.S. citizen, I always felt that way. I actually couldn't even say that I was 100% American because I wasn't a citizen yet. So that was, you know, that was kind of like the experience that I've had in talking to other people who also were raised in different types of borders. They feel exactly the same. You kind of get the best of both worlds in a way. How about some of your professional background and coming to CSI? I went to the University of Texas at El Paso for my bachelor's. I did most of my school in Mexico up until my bachelor's. The reason for that, because, you know, I wanted to study graphic design and Ciudad Juarez at the time, the program was barely starting. So I, you know, I just wanted to go somewhere where I felt more comfortable in the degree that I was getting. So once I graduated from the University of Texas at El Paso, UTEP, I went back home for a while and I was lucky enough that at the time, so once I was doing my degree in graphic design, I also started printmaking as a visual artist because they were part of the same program essentially. And I really fell in love with the techniques and the medium. So that's why I ended up doing a, a double major actually in graphic design and printmaking. So when I went back to Mexico at the university in Mexico, in Juarez, they needed a printmaker because their professor in printmaking actually left all of a sudden. And so 
me without having a master's, I just applied because they needed somebody in a hurry, essentially. And they gave me a shot. They said, look, we really need somebody. They saw my portfolio and they said, we trust that you know your, you know what you're doing. So they let me essentially teach for that semester. And they said, we'll see how it goes from there. And I ended up staying there for five years teaching without a master's degree, which was kind of, a, you know, kind of crazy now thinking about it. But that kind of helped me out, you know, develop my career a little bit. You know, it gave me access to studio. And then eventually I just felt the need to actually do my master's. So I went then to University of Texas at Austin and I did my master's there in visual arts. And then after that, I just, you know, after graduation, I got a one year position at Northern Illinois University for teaching in art, printmaking specifically. And then during that time, the position at CSI opened up and I applied and, you know, was lucky and prepared enough that I got it. So that's what brought me here. And I've been loving my time at CSI. I mean, it's been a great cohort of colleagues in my department and everywhere in the in the campus and the college. So it's been great, yeah. Okay, great. Now let's turn to your most recent exhibit, which is uh, running through March 14th in the Art Gallery of the College of Staten Island, which is in Building 1P. Mm -hmm. And the exhibit's called Holding It All Gently. And it's based on the knitted and crocheted creations of your mother, who passed away almost five years ago. What was your mother like? She was a sweet, wonderful woman, hard worker. Of course, I think you know most people will say that of their mothers, obviously, very loving. But yeah, more than anything, she was very resilient and, and just a hard worker. I mean, she just indoctrinated me in always trying to do my best and always learning, always looking for something to improve myself, both professionally and personally. So I think it was just the best mother and inspiration that I could ever ask for. So let's build on that inspiration a little bit. How did she inspire you to incorporate her works into yours? And what were your goals for yourself and future viewers as you made this art? Right. So... My mom was always doing something on her free time. She unfortunately never went, never finished school. She actually, unfortunately, never even finished elementary school because she was pulled out of school by her parents because she needed to help them financially. So she started working when, you know, when she was a kid, essentially, and in her whole life, that's what her life was. But she always wanted to have a degree or, or have an education. And because of this, she, you know, she took classes in cooking, for example, in baking, and then she learned how to crochet, how to knit, and all these different, you know, what is seen as women's crafts, essentially. And she did those uh, out of her own will, you know, she just wanted something that it was hers, I would say. And so that's what she kind of would do in her own time. So I just remember growing up, seeing her sitting on, uh, on the bed, watching TV at night, resting before before going to bed, and just kneading or crocheting something as she's watching TV. It's just kind of like, also kind of for her to decompress a little bit of the day and all the stress that she had. So how she inspired me to kind of work with what she did was because those last years before she passed away, she was starting to work a little bit less, not by choice, but more because her employers just were giving her less hours. And because she had worked her entire time, she was kind of afraid of not knowing what to do with her time, you know, with the free time. And so 
at that point, I was actually thinking, you know, like, what, what can I do to help my mom, you know, make her feel at ease, that she's okay, that she doesn't need to work anymore, you know, that I'm there to help her financially if needed. And so I was already trying to come up with a project where she would help me do something. Unfortunately, that never ended up having to be realized. And so that's why when I went back home after she passed away and going through her things, finding all these objects that she had made, that's what gave me the inspiration of, I'm going to make work with these things that she made. And this will be like this project that I was planning. And I saw those works yesterday, went down to the exhibit, and I have to say they are so beautiful, so colorful. And so your mother, in a way, in this exhibit is a subject within it, but -hmm. at the same time, you were talking about that possibility of collaborating with her. And so this is your way, even though she's gone, of still collaborating with your mother and seeing that project through, right? Correct. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, assume this exhibition is more of a memorial to my mom. And there is a part of it, but honestly, I don't see it that way. For me, it's more of of a collaboration and a conversation between her and me. Because like I said, this was a project that I was already in planning stages. I actually never spoke to my mom about it. I was thinking about it and I didn't want to talk to her until I had something, I guess, concrete or more finalized, you know, to then approach her and be like, why don't you do this for me? And then I can make work about it or with it. And so when I finally got these pieces, you know, brought them back with me from what is, I saw them as me being able to have a continual conversation with her. She was gone physically, so I couldn't have a conversation with her anymore. But this was a way that I could be doing something. We could do something together. So the exhibition for me, like I said, it is these conversations and these collaborations that we're doing. I am treating the objects with respect, but at the same time, I am allowing myself to be able to use them in the in the way that I can create something different and enhance not only the object, but also just kind of create something new out of them. Yeah, that's how the exhibition ended up coming together. Okay. Now let's get a little bit more in depth here. I, As I was walking around the gallery, I saw different types of works. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them actually employed your mother's crocheting. There are pieces that have x-rays in them, an animation of an elephant figurine and some photos of that figurine as well. Mm -hmm. So could you describe the processes that you use to create the pieces in this exhibit, including the research that you conducted when you traveled back to Juarez after your mother passed? When I went back home for my mom's passing, and then I went a couple more times because there were, I guess, some legal things that we needed to take care of my brother and me. My brother lives in my mom's house now. And so I had to make those trips for legal reasons, but then also just to kind of help my brother, you know, figure out what we were going to be doing with everything that, you know, she left behind essentially and, you know, going through things and kind of dividing all of that. So when we were going through that process of, you know, going through her clothes and everything that she had in her room, that's when I started noticing all these objects that I then started separating and asking my brother if I could have them so that I could make work. And that's how, again, that's kind of how the idea for this exhibition and all these pieces started materializing. She was a big fan of elephants. She loved them. And so throughout her lifetime, people will gift her an elephant figurine for any anniversary, birthday, you know, Christmas. So she had, I think, 
over 200 by the end. Mm. So yeah, you know, there's more, most of them are small, but you always had them displayed also in our living room. So that's something that I always grew up also uh, seeing every when I was there. And so when I came back home, you know, she was not there physically, but I could go into the living room and just see this display with, you know, these thousands of elephants and then seeing her crocheted pieces kind of like all over the, the, the house, you know, on the tables and the nightstands and all that. So I decided I'm going to take these pieces with me physically. I photographed the elephants because I couldn't bring those with me. They were just too fragile. And I didn't also want to move them from between where she had them. So I photo I did bring a, a friend of mine. We photographed them on the round. And I immediately knew that I wanted to make an animation or a film using those elephants. So that's where the elephants come into play in the exhibition. And it's using like all these elements that in a way have you know, my mom impregnated in them and memories of me as well, of my time in Juarez and of my mother, obviously. So the works in the exhibition, they vary in technique. Printmaking is a medium that has many different approaches of making artwork. And so I'm very experimental. I'm not a traditional printmaker. I always like exploring different routes of making artwork. And so all of these works, actually, I was just realizing yesterday during the opening that they were all made during artist residencies. So I never made them in my own personal studio. I always traveled somewhere else, another studio in a different country or a different city here in the United States. And I made those works there. So a lot of the times, you know, there are limitations or sometimes actually there's no limitations. And so that's what I use for making the pieces. For some of them, I did have an idea to begin with as far as like what medium I was going to use. And other times I just, you know, let myself the place or the studio kind of dictate what I was going to be able to do. So there's, you know, there's cyanotypes, which are the, the blue pieces that have the actual crocheted kind of poking out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, color lithographs that I did with Flatbed Press in Austin, Texas. And that was a collaboration that I did with the studio where I made the imagery and then they actually printed them for me. I went to the Morgan Conservatory in Cleveland, where that's a paper making facility studio and I you know I went as an artist residence and I just was experimenting and exploring and that residency I came with ideas or a plan of what I wanted to make but I was expecting to come back with nothing essentially because I've never done paper making before it was more for me an opportunity to learn and fortunately enough you know I, I find a way to create something with the medium and something that actually worked so that's that's how those pieces on the floor in the gallery that's how the, those were uh, ended up being created the x-rays are also from my mom she passed away from um, heart failure essentially and she had two cardiac uh, heart attacks essentially before that throughout the years so since 2009 that was the, the first time she had a the first heart attack since then, she had been going to the cardiologist and the regular doctor checkups. So that's where those x-rays are coming from. In Mexico, they usually give them back to the to the patient. So she collected them. She had them in the house. And so I, when I found them, I also brought them with me and decided this, you know, this is my mother, essentially. They're photographs of my mom's bones. So that's why I ended up deciding to use them as well in, con- in connection with the crocheted pieces that she made. Okay. Yeah. And again, I have to say, the x-ray works are very powerful. Thank uh, you. Just to see what you, you know, just superimposing color over those. And they were, I think, among the most fascinating works in that exhibit for Thank me. Thank you. Appreciate it.
let's move on now to some of your earlier series, uh, which also concern death. And uh, one of them is uh, Retratos del Perdida por el Narcotrafico. Sorry mm -hmm. for butchering that. Uh, portraits <laughs> of loss due to drug trafficking. Please explain how the works in this series came to be and what inspired you. So, yes, that's what I usually tend to call like my, my main body of work. I've been doing this this series or this exploring this subject matter for a long time now. And it all started because I'm from Juarez, Mexico, obviously. I grew up there. And when the official drug of uh, on wars was declared by Mexico, by the Mexican president, you know, but this is back in 2006, the city completely changed. Now, when I go back to visit my brother, and even before that, when I was visiting my mom, the city is completely new to me. And it's just not the place that I grew up in. And so I saw, unfortunately, a lot of those changes happen because I was still living in Juarez when the violence started. So in 2006, like I said, when the official war on drugs was declared, Juarez was the most used corridor for bringing drugs from Mexico into the United States. And the cartels then, you know, this is all the, the drug groups, they were fighting essentially to control the area, to be able to bring their drugs into the United States. And so this caused a huge spike in violence in the city. And then when the president sent, you know, the federal police and then eventually also the, the military police, that just created chaos in the city. I mean, I don't know if you if you remember or if you were aware, but for a, a few years, Ciudad Juarez was actually named the most dangerous city in the world. It topped the, the list for a couple of, for more than a couple of years, I think. And so during that time, the city completely changed. Citizens tried not to go out as much. They would only go to work and then come back home. And we were kind of living sequestered in a, in a sense, I would say. So that affected me, you know, visually and emotionally in how the city was essentially being butchered, I, I think. So I had the need to make work about it. So when I finally moved to Austin, Texas, that's when I started exploring the, the, the idea a little bit more with more intrigue, I guess. And that's when this series started evolving. And it was because it was affecting me directly. Fortunately, my family and my friends, my close network, essentially, we were not really affected directly, but the story is, it couldn't have been any of us, essentially. And so that was a little bit scary. And I kind of understood that, you know, we were grieving as a community, I think. And it was just something that I couldn't understand what that was happening. So that's that's why the need for making this work. And it's still a, a subject that I'm exploring in my work. And I've tried different mediums and different visually. They seem different as well. And that's because I'm always trying to look at the problem from different angles to try to find what's the better way to highlight this, you know, these events and, and to bring more, more attention, I guess, to, to what's happening in Mexico. All right. So how did you create these works? What's the composition on these? All of these works are using appropriated images. You know, I started first by collecting, you know, at the beginning of the, of the violence, the newspapers in Juarez were actually publishing these photographs that were very raw and crude in nature. You know, in Mexico, we we don't shy away from showing the corpse in, in photographs or in, in media, essentially. And so when the violence was really bad, you would see on the front cover of the newspapers, the local newspapers, essentially photos of cadavers. And I started collecting these images, I think, because I knew that it was important. You know, these were somebody's family, somebody's brother, husband, 
son and and he had the stories obviously there as well you know that's telling you you know what they knew at the time of what, what had happened in the event so i started collecting all of these images and then that's what ended up allowing me to go back to those photographs scan them and then use them for my for my artwork uh, so for this particular series that you're talking about the retratos for those ones i decided to essentially blow up and concentrate on just the portraits so just the the heads of of, of these people and I wanted to use a medium that was actually violent as well in creating the pieces so that I, it would, in a way, bring that violence visually to the viewer, to my audience. And also, I was trying to use violence to, in a way, purify these people because the violence took them away from life. And I wanted to bring violence again to give them humanity. And so I was using a power drill, a handheld drill, using different drill bits, and, and then just basically drilling through the image. In a way, I was trying to destroy the image, almost like erasing these figures. But by create, by doing that, I was actually making them, enhancing that image and make, bringing it more to, to the forefront and making it more apparent of what had happened. So that's, that's the technique that I used. All right. Let's go to another series that you've mm -hmm. done. It's called The Human Toll COVID-19. What motivated you to create this series and what did this comprise? So, you know, this uh, this series is also similar to uh, to the drug wars um, in the sense that it's something that COVID affected all of us, obviously, in, in the world. And so when it was happening, I was living in Staten Island. I was feeling, you know, as, as, all, as we all did, I was feeling secluded. I was feeling like isolated. I was, I'm, I live by myself. So... It was very difficult time, and once we were allowed to go out into the city and essentially have some open air, I started doing walks in Manhattan. I would take the ferry, uh, go to Manhattan, and start walking, and it was really interesting to see the city completely empty. I mean, I remember I walked for at least a month and a half almost every day, and there was nobody in, this, in, in the city. I would see maybe one or two people doing my long walks. And the day that this New York Times uh, article was published, I remember seeing it on the digital version because I have the digital subscription. But during one of my walks, one of the businesses in Manhattan had closed up as, as most of them had. And they had just all these piles of newspapers, you know, they, they never stopped their subscription. And I remember seeing that particular one in the front of the store. And I just decided to basically grab it and steal it essentially because I knew that it had all the all the names and a little bit of description of who were these people when they were alive and so I took it back home and I sit with it for quite a bit of time because I knew that I wanted to make some work about it I felt like there was a lot of parallels and connections with my work that I was doing in from Mexico and so eventually I was able to pull it out of the plastic bag that they you know deliver in and take it out and disassemble it and, and just start making work about it. And, you know, for me, it was trying to highlight the fact that at that point we had lost 100,000 people here in the United States only. And what shocked me was that it became a number, like people were becoming numbers. They were not people anymore. They were reporting how many cases of how many passings, I guess, they were happening and that was something that I had also experienced in Juarez in that eventually because of the violence, they couldn't keep up with the violence, the news, the media, 
And so they were not publishing names anymore. They would only say they found four more cadavers yesterday or three more people were killed uh, last night or things like that. And so that was something that I just couldn't accept. In my mind, these are people, these were people, they're somebody's family and I just couldn't accept it. And, and that was the same with the COVID series in that these were people. And even though, again, it didn't happen to me personally, it didn't affect me directly, you know, which I'm grateful for. There were families who were destroyed. I mean, there were families who lost, you know, several members in, in that family. And for those uh, people to become numbers, which is not, it was unacceptable to me. Just uh, statistics, basically. Exactly. Yeah, I understand. So are there any other series that we haven't discussed that you'd like to tell us a little bit about? Yeah. So there's one body of work that I did in Germany. I was invited to a residency in this town of Pendemunde, which is in Northern East Germany. And this is the place where essentially rocket technology was developed during the World War II era. And I was invited to do this project, but I really didn't know what to do because I have no connection to Germany. It was my first time. Well, actually, it was my second time visiting Germany at that point. But, you know, I don't have any family. I don't have ancestry from there. At the time, I didn't even have that many friends, to be honest. And because of the history of the space, I guess I was afraid of what to do. I did. I wanted to treat the place with respect and not just come in and do something that was completely, that was unrelated, you know, to that area or to the history of the area. So I took it upon myself to learn more from about the space and what happened during that time. And I ended up creating this installation for the museum. This is not an art museum, by the way. This is a technical museum or more of a, a history museum, I guess. That's how you can put it, where they, you know, trying to teach people about the rocket technology and you know how it developed and then also to you know showcase what happened during world war ii obviously you know that this was essentially what the nazis were trying to create as as weapons to destroy the west essentially and so i spent three months the, the entire summer in this in the facilities of this museum i just worked outside on their open open ground and made this installation using cyanotypes and then just using any materials that I found in, on, on site. And the whole idea for me was trying to place myself in that time and thinking about the history of all these experiments of them trying to create a rocket, you know, that would go into not necessarily space, but actually just into the skies and then bomb, you know, another country. So that's where the work, the work kind of came. And, you know, later on, I realized that my work is in a way all about violence i guess to a certain degree and about mortality because you know what a what better time than you know to think about mortality than world war ii i mean there were millions of people who were um, assassinated killed or you know just lost essentially and so this was something that even though it was completely different from my practice it's still very much myself and my artwork all right and you kind of lead into the next question i have for you death and violence do play quite a role in your art. Mm -hmm. uh, what was your motivation in trying to tackle these difficult subjects? Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm really, I'm being completely honest. I think maybe it is a little bit of morbid curiosity. Uh, sometimes I also think that because I am Mexican, death is not something that we are afraid of. 
in Mexico, unlike the United States or other countries, we don't see death as something to be scared about. We actually celebrate death. We actually make fun of death, you know, culturally. And so that's something that I guess has, has played, um, you know, a role in my artwork and in my life. And so I always think that my beginnings as an artist started with the work from Juarez, the work from Mexico. And that was in a way out of necessity of responding to what was happening in the country and in the city in, in losing all these uh, this generations of young men. But I think if I'm being honest, I think I was also just thinking about my own mortality at the time, not thinking in the sense that, you know, that I was exposed or that I was, that I could have been, because I was in the city where the, all this violence was happening, that I could have been killed. Um, it wasn't necessarily that, but it was more just about, you know, normal thinking of like, well, what's going to happen after I'm gone? I think we all have had those thoughts. And maybe this was a way for me to kind of explore death in a way that is not directly affecting me and using that as an, sort of as an excuse to, to explore the subject. And then, of course, you know, like the work for my mom now, it is a little bit more directly, obviously, because I lost my parents. And I am definitely thinking more about my own mortality because I feel that it is more in front of me now. But I still am not shying away from it because I think it's something that's going to happen to all of us, whether we want it or not. And so I think it's best to just embrace it and in a way have a conversation with it. And I feel like that's exactly what I'm trying to do in all of my works. It's all about trying to confront death, not in a way to remove any fear necessarily, but rather to just embrace it. That is part of life. To be alive is to know that you're going to die, you know, eventually. Okay. Now you mentioned that uh, work continues on the uh, Retratos work that you're doing. What else does the future hold for your art? That's a great question. It's wide open, to be honest. I mean, I do know that I, I am going to continue doing the work, um, the series from my from my mom. Um, it's something that I've been very excited since the beginning, making that body of work. And I'm still very excited. So I know I have a lot of ideas of how I want to continue the work. That will be taking the first place as far as my practice. But because Mexico is still having problems with violence and specifically the drug violence, I will continue exploring that idea as well. I mean, it's just it's just affecting my sense of identity, you know, as a Mexican and as as, as somebody from Ciudad Juarez. So those are the two, I guess, subject matters that will always play a role in my art artistic practice. But I'm always open to, you know, change. And uh, in a way, uh, sometimes I'm actually, in the past, I, I was actually looking more actively into trying to do something completely different. But um, yeah, I don't know. Whatever comes, I'll work with it. Holding it all gently is at the Art Gallery of the College of Staten Island in the Center for the Arts until March 14th. And I encourage everyone who's either watching this or listening to this to go see this wonderful exhibit. And Miguel, thanks for joining me today and explaining your ideas behind the art you create. And it's been very fascinating talking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening. Coming up next week, David Pizzuto rejoins the show with another exclusive interview on CSI Today Talks. Check us out, as well as all the newsmakers at CSI, 
on www.csitoday.com and be sure to subscribe. We'll see you next week right here on CSI Today Talks. Thank you for listening to this edition of the CSI Today Talks podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to get alerted for brand new episodes and to listen on demand to your favorites. Be sure to check us out at www.csitoday.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.